You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Go ahead and find your place. Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. A very familiar chapter in the life of Jesus because it's where it all began. It is in Luke chapter 2 that we find Bethlehem, that we find the visit of the shepherds, that we find Jesus' earthly uh, life uh, taking hold. And in Luke chapter 2, we see a clear picture of the humanity of Christ, matched also by the divinity of Christ in so many ways. I want to begin with one verse before our prayer. And it's a simple verse that you've heard many, many times. And I want you to think, this being spoken in all respect and with much love and affection, but also boldly proclaiming the truth of His ultimate purpose on planet earth, Jesus said, How is it that you seek after me, or that you sought me, which do you not that I must be about my Father's business? I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing here? You, you might say, well, I came to church because I was brought up to come to church and I've checked off my church box for the week or I've done my due diligence or my duty that was expected of me. If I were to ask you, why do you teach your Sunday school lessons, sing in the choir, serve on a committee or as a deacon, or why do you do what you do for the Lord? You might say, well, I feel obligated or I feel burdened or I even enjoy it or I like it. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, my prayer is that every time we darken the doors of this place and every day of our life as we go about our lives, that we are up to the business that Jesus made clear in verse 49 was our Father's business. Lord, I pray that you'd take these moments of study, Lord, and that you would bless, that you would give unction, that you'd give understanding, clarity of mind and of speech, that we'd say those things fitting with thy will. Nothing more, nothing less is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, now what happened between Bethlehem and Jerusalem? Have you ever wondered what it was like raising Jesus? I admit that I wish the Bible had more details. I'd love to be able to look at our children and say, well, when Jesus was seven, here's what he did. Or when Jesus was five and a half, here's what he did. But we know very little. Let me give you one verse by way of introduction. Verse 40, Luke 2. And this is the, basically the connector verse between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And the child Jesus grew. And he waxed strong in spirit. And he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. An entire decade of the life of Jesus summed up in one simple verse. Now let me give you the narrative this morning that we're going to be looking at very quickly. Our points will be simple, concise to the point, and I pray you'll be able to take them with you when you leave. Now his parents, that is Jesus' earthly parents, who were they? Mary and Joseph, those are the characters of this narrative. Now, Mary and Joseph went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Notice the word they is used so many times in this text. Scores of times in the first they, it was the whole family. Mary, Joseph, 
Jesus, possibly other siblings, other family members going up to Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned... Now notice this day was a different group. There was one missing. There was one absent from their company. And as they had fulfilled the days, they returned. But the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. You've heard this story. And Joseph and his mother knew it not. They did not even realize that Jesus was not with them. Now that'll preach. But they, supposing him to have been in their company went an entire day's journey, and they sought him amongst their kinfolks and acquaintances. Maybe, parents, you have lost your child once upon a time. Maybe it was at the coat rack at Walmart in the midst of the clothes, you know. Uh, Maybe it was somewhere in a crowded place. Every year when we come to this time that we go off to New York on a mission trip, we inevitably take other people's children with us. And my prayer is always, Lord, help me bring back the same number and if, if possible, the same group of kids that we're taking. I'm always grateful for that. But they just thought surely he was with them, so they began going from one to another. Have you seen Jesus? And I imagined at first they were probably not that panicky. But the longer it went when they realized Jesus is missing, we have been in Trusted with the very Son of God, and yet we have somehow lost Him. Yet we have somehow misplaced Him. We have taken our eyes off of Him. He's wandered away. Where can He be? And with every passing moment, they became more uh, panicked and more frantic and more worried and more anxious. And I imagine wondering how they're going to explain this to God. You know, looking out and saying, we have misplaced Jesus. Continue looking. And when they found Him not... They turned back. Brethren, if we ever come to the point that we realize we are no longer in fellowship with our Savior, there's only one thing we can do. It's not about going and getting books and reading them. It's not about trying to somehow turn over a new leaf or do better tomorrow, but it's about going back. It's about repenting and turning and going back to that place that we last had fellowship with the Savior. Don't misunderstand. It's not about losing our relationship, but it's about losing that fellowship. And it came to pass in verse 46 that after three days, wow, three days of searching, three days of worrying, three days of wonder, they found Him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. It's hard enough to keep kids' attention for 30 minutes in children's church or for an hour in Sunday school. But for three days, Jesus not only had their attention, but but they had His. Continue looking. And the Bible says that He was there, and He was hearing them and asking questions, and all that heard Him were astonished at His understanding and answers. And when they, there's that word again, the parents of Jesus saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son. Can you imagine as she grabbed the hold of his arms, looking into his eyes, she's probably weeping, not only because of all the anxiety she had been through, but relieved. She had finally found Jesus and she said, Son, why have you thus dealt with us this way? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Notice she said, Thy father and I with absolute no disrespect at all to his mother, with absolute love and kindness in his heart, he had to once and for all set the record straight. Now, young people, I want you to listen to something. 
If Jesus would have at that moment turned to Mary his mother and rebuked her and disrespected her and cursed at her or any of those things, you and I today would be absolutely doomed. It was not that he showed her disrespect, but he had to set the record straight. So she said, your father and I have been worried. And he said, mother, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And he did not mean making furniture. He did not mean the carpentry skills that he no doubt had learned from Joseph. But he meant about the eternal kingdom work that his father had placed him on planet earth to be about. Well, verse 50, they understood him not the saying which he spoke unto them. And he then went down with them and came unto Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these things and pondered them. Jesus would increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And we would see very little else until Jesus would be baptized. I want to share two things with you in your hearing this morning. Number one, we're going to look at the preoccupied parents. The preoccupied parents. And then secondly, we're going to see the picture of the surrendered parents. Son, Very quickly, number one, the preoccupied parents. Notice in verse number 44, there is a little phrase that says this. They supposed him to be in their company. Is it possible to think you have a close relationship with Jesus when all the time it is based on mere supposition? That is, there is no true evidence of that fellowship. There is nothing going on around you that others might see. That person is walking closely by the Savior's side. That person is living a spirit-filled life. Now, how can it be that they could have supposed something that should have been so very apparent, so very important, yet they had let the first things go? The Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of the things around us shall be added unto us. There was a gradual uh, recognition and a gradual absence. It took them an entire day to realize that something was wrong. Beloved, sometimes it takes us a while. We don't just backslide overnight and many times we don't front slide overnight. Sometimes we just realize bit by bit our relationship has drifted apart. I want you to know that Mary and Joseph were just as close to Jesus in that moment as they wanted to be and so too is it with you and with me. So I began thinking and praying this week through this. How could it be that Mary and Joseph, who were divinely picked by God, I mean, these were the greatest caretakers on earth that God would entrust his son to, and how could it be that someone so special, so chosen, so significant in the pages of biblical history could have gotten to the point that they could have existed one whole day without realizing that they were not in fellowship with Jesus? I thought of a few things I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Number one, in this text, I believe we can see there were the distractions of their rituals. Say that with me. The distractions of their rituals. When John Hagee does that on TV, the whole place just says it back. I don't understand it works better for him. But anyway, think about the distractions of their rituals. Friend, can I say to you that sometimes 
church can be very, very distracting. Even as a pastor, all of my pastoral duties can become distracting from my relationship with the Lord. I must admit that many times my feet hit the ground running before my knees hit the ground praying. Because we become so preoccupied and so busy with all of the stuff of ministry and all of the stuff of church. Now, what was Mary and Joseph doing? They were not out running around and living it up. They were not out doing anything uh, apparently wrong. They were not backslidden in the nature that we would think of it. In fact, they were at church. They were at the temple. They were celebrating the Passover. They were having a great time of worship. The songs were still ringing in their ears. Uh, The thoughts of the meditations were still fresh upon their lips. I mean, this was a sweet time in their life, but they had become distracted by the rituals of their faith. Does that ever happen to us? Do we ever get so busy doing church that we all of a sudden realize, you know, I've not prayed all day. You know, I've sung the songs, but I've not worshiped today. You know, I picked up the scriptures and read a few verses in my devotional, but I've not really meditated today. I've been distracted by the rituals of my faith. Think about this. Number one, there was the presumption of faithfulness. Now, don't miss this. There was the presumption of faithfulness. They said to themselves, well, certainly we're being faithful because we've been at the temple. Certainly we've been faithful because we've attended the feast of the Passover. Beloved, if you come to church this morning, you will go home today saying, I have been faithful. I have checked off the box. I have done what was expected of me. I've been faithful. There's been a presumption of my faithfulness. Beloved, busyness sometimes gets in the way of the blessings that God has for us. Now think about this. As they went up to the temple, as they went to Jerusalem, the holy city, as they went through the the practices of their faith and through the Passover experience, they were going through the motions. Now I'm not saying that their heart wasn't in it, that they weren't sincere, not at all. But I'm saying they were going through the motions as they had been taught. In fact, the Bible says, as their custom was. You see that? We have customs, do we not? We're here today because this is a custom. Many churches today say, well, you know, we have church at 11 o'clock because the Bible says we're to have church at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Actually, the Bible says early on the first day of the week, you know. Uh, So why do we have church? 11 o'clock because there was a time that that time worked out better uh, and at 11 o'clock was when the farmers could get all their chores done early in the morning. They could travel the distance and they could meet at the midday time at 11 o'clock and then they would have lunch or dinner on the grounds every single week that they would meet and normally they only met two or or maybe one time a month for church. But centuries later through all of this or maybe a couple hundred years through this, churches in America are still having church at 11 o'clock. Why? Because that's what our custom is. Yes, some customs are great, wonderful things. Having church on Wednesday nights, a custom. Having a Sunday night service for discipleship and growing and learning, it's a custom. But if our customs impede our relationship, then we become distracted by our rituals and we're just going through the motions. Secondly, not only is there the presumption of faithfulness, there's also the problem with their fellowship. The problem with their fellowship, I love the Holy Spirit. I love to sit down and just study and work on these sermons and messages and see how things just come together and the the words of the pages just come to life and it just like, man, this is so practical. So think about it. 
Mary and Joseph coming out of Jerusalem. The Bible says there's a large company about them and they're talking and they're, they're probably talking about how sweet it was to be at temple and what a wonderful message there was and what a wonderful picture uh, of the Passover. And it hasn't this been a great time to be in the holy city? And they're just loving the whole experience. Beloved, may I say we can love the experience of church without having the experience of Christ. They were so overwhelmed with their fellowship, and and I wish there were more details here, but they were obviously so preoccupied with their relationship with one another that their relationship with Jesus became secondary. If that makes sense, say amen. I mean, it's right there. So so they're going about and they're fellowshipping and they're, they're just having a great time. And somewhere later in the day, after an entire day has passed, they go, we're missing something. Do you ever find yourself missing something? I just got to admit, and y'all need a good laugh, and I probably do too, but Sunday mornings are pretty hectic. And when I get here, one of my biggest fears is that I have missed something. Like part of my attire is completely missing. Like I'm going to look down and have no shoes or, or maybe worse, okay? Sometimes we can get so busy and so frantic and so preoccupied that we go missing something very important. Well, they were missing their relationship with Christ, but not after an entire day of fellowshipping with one another. I love getting to preach in churches and places that I've never been before. I preached in Wade, North Carolina on Tuesday night. Man, it was a sweet time and I just loved it so much. But I must say that there are many churches that I had the privilege of preaching in that would get an A in fellowship. That is their strength. I mean, they can cook. You walk into the church, the smell of fried chicken is just from wall to wall, you know, and and they're hugging on everybody. I want to tell you, I preached up at Galatia Baptist Church um, last year. It's where Brother David Foster's from. I have never been slobbered on and hugged on in all of my life. Y'all have been up there and sung. Man, them people are hugging people. And uh, just, man, I I mean, just... and But sometimes, and I'm talking about Galatia, but sometimes... A church has done such a good job of fellowshipping that they've created something so sweet yet so absent from what's really kingdom work. In fact, sometimes somebody will say, I want to be part of that church because they're such a warm and loving group of people and I want to be part of something like that. Well, can I say to you, based on the authority of the Word of God, the church is not just a warm and fuzzy place. The church is a place that is, literally, we are soldiers of the cross. And if we get so tied up in, in the fellowship aspect that we're missing the fact that it's not about us relating to us, but it's about us relating to Him and Him relating to us. You see, the presumption of faithfulness, they were going through the motions. But the problem with their fellowship, they were going through their emotions. Amen? That come to me about 6 o'clock this morning. I just thought it was real good. They were going through the emotions. It feels good to be a part of the church. Nothing feels better. We have people that love us and unconditionally we have things in common and we sing together and study together and, and we celebrate together and we travel together and go all over the world together and things like that. It's precious. But if it's just about our fellowship with one another, then we have absolutely missed the mark. Preoccupied parents, Mary and Joseph, they were distracted by their rituals. But I also want you to say in, see in this text, there was a delay to their response. There was a delay to their response. It took them an entire day to realize there was a problem. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but sometimes when I go into a church and it becomes very evident. 
And I, I shared this Wednesday night, I think you look at their bulletin and every event they have is about team building and fellowship and uh, trips that they're going on and events that they're hosting, but very little about ministry, very little about missions and everything's about us. You know, the seniors are going on this fun trip and the kids are going on this fun trip and the youth are going on this fun trip and all that's fine and good, but it's not really about kingdom work day by day. There needs to be a blend of things. Fellowship is important. But I go into these churches and I'm thinking, wonder how long they've been doing things this way and not even realize that they're not making an eternal impact in their community. You know, it took Mary and Joseph a whole day to realize there was a problem. You may be here today and you may be saying, now preach, I don't have a problem. I'm glad you're preaching this message. People out there, it's got a problem, but I don't have a problem because it's just not me. I wonder when was the last time you truly felt close to the Lord? When was the last time you truly had a time with God that was just an overwhelming time of blessing? A time of pouring yourself out, not you and the church, not getting caught up in a service, but just you and Him, Him and you. May we not delay in our response. In fact, may we have such a desire for intimacy that when there becomes the least little bit of separation, we realize that, oh God, that I would come back to you. Oh God, that I would not drift. Oh God, that I would not turn my eyes and my ears and my heart away from you. There was a to their response, but there's one more thing we find here under preoccupied parents. There was the dogma of their rebuke. There was the dogma of their rebuke. Literally, Mary and Joseph went up to Jesus and began scolding him. I mean, the word's pretty clear. Why did you do this to us? Stop there for a moment. If we're not careful, we'll read that text and we'll think, well, what does that have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. Think about this. In our relationship with the Lord... There are times that things happen in our life and we choose to play the victim. And we say, why did God allow this to happen to me? I would be closer to him if this had not happened. It's really his fault that I'm not in fellowship with him. I wanted to live for him and yet this happened to me. Nine out of ten pastors will not retire. I read that sometime back and it just broke my heart. Nine out of ten pastors will leave the ministry. Only one of ten will survive to retirement. Wow. And, and I meet pastors all the time that, that are going through things and they'll say, man, I got treated wrong and this, they voted me out or they did this or they did that and man, I'm not going to go back. And, and they're so hurt and they're angry at God. God, the reason that I'm out of the ministry is your fault. God, the reason that I, I no longer pray like I did, it's your fault. God, the reason I no longer attend church, it's your fault. They began blaming Jesus for the separation. They began blaming Jesus for the broken fellowship. Isn't that, isn't that something? That they would think that way. The fact of the matter is Jesus was about his father's business. They're the ones that had left prematurely. They're the ones that had left town, not him. And I'm not beating up on Mary and Joseph. This is an amazing story. Think of all the events and stories in the life of Jesus. This is the one that we have scriptural evidence of. There was the dogma of their rebuke. We can become very dogmatic with God. I meet people all the time that are so angry at God because of something that's happened in their life. I want to tell you, it, it worries me at times when I hear this new uh, philosophy of ministry and, and preachers that are, are selling a gospel that is not biblical that says if you will give your heart to Jesus, everything's going to be great. Your barns will be overflowing. They're taking a little bit of scripture here and there and kind of uh, making a, a big mess of things. But, but they're saying if you'll, if you'll follow Jesus, you'll never have another problem. You'll have all the money you need and all the stuff you'll need and your health will be good and all of this. And I look at people that are going through things and I'm thinking what that must sound like to them. 
They're trying to live for the Lord, but yet they're having all these problems and all these heartaches. The fact of the matter is that we need to realize that just because we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ does not mean that life just turns into this unbelievable um, picture of, of wonder and splendor. In fact, in many cases, it is only when we completely dedicate our lives and fully surrender our lives to the Lord that things get really tough. My life as a pastor would be far easier if I wasn't pushing so hard, if I wasn't challenging so hard, if I didn't preach so hard and all of these things. But listen, if we're going to accomplish kingdom work collectively, we must be willing to say, God, through the good and the bad and through the thick and the thin, we are going to be about our Father's business. Number one, there were the preoccupied parents. Number two, and I'm done, there was the surrendered son. Jesus said very clearly, I must be. I don't have a choice but to be. There's no doubt I have to be about my father's business. I'll give you this very quickly and pray. What do we see Jesus doing as he surrenders his life as a 12-year-old little boy? By the way, there are kids here today that God's working in their hearts and lives. God's going to call some out to be pastors and pastor's wives and church leaders and maybe worship leaders or youth leaders or whatever it might be. Christian businessmen, teachers and other, other professions that God's going to use them. And when we look at the picture of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, look at what his priority was. Number one, there was a priority to the Father's Word. Where did we find Jesus? When he said, I'm about my father's business, he was sitting and studying, both listening and talking about the word, about the law, about the teachings of the church. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How important it is that we prioritize the word of God and not just the young people and not just the teenagers, but every person that we're growing and that we're learning and that we're studying the precious word of God. That's how we grow. That's how we're stretched. That's how we know him better. But not only was there a priority to the father's word, there was also a preoccupation to the father's will. A preoccupation to the father's will. The entire life of Christ was marked by this preoccupation, even at the end. Jesus in his humanity cried out and said, Father, is there any other way? Lord, that this cup could pass for me. If there's any plan B, let's go there. But then his divinity won out. The divinity overrode his humanity. And he said, Father, it's not about my will, but it's about thy will. When he taught his disciples to pray, he taught them to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when Mary and Joseph found Jesus, he was right where God would have him to be. Not one step to the left and not one step to the right. Beloved, may I say to you that when you're trying to be preoccupied and faithful to the will of God, there are going to be rebuke. There's going to be rebuke. There are going to be those who will come to you and say, I don't agree, I don't understand. The response of Mary and Joseph, they listened to Jesus. He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? They looked at one another and said, we don't get it. Verse 50 says, and they understood him not. We don't get it. Sometimes people don't get it. Sometimes people don't understand what you're doing, but keep on doing it anyway. If you know that you are fulfilling the will of God, if you know that you are where God would have you to be, just keep on doing it. Be, be, be preoccupied with His Word and with His will. 
Every step that Jesus took on planet earth was about his father's business. He didn't heal people so that he would be known as the healer. He didn't preach so that he would be known as the preacher. He didn't conduct miracles so that he would be known as the great miracle worker. But everything he did pointed back to the Father. Think about that, church. Everything that we do, it's not about us growing a church. It's not about us having a great program. It's not about us making a name for ourselves or attracting new members and new people. But it literally is about us doing our Father's business. Someone said, what are you going to be doing in New York this week? We'll be doing a vacation Bible school at night, homeless ministry during the day. But ultimately, we're going to be doing our Father's business. What's going on over at the lake? We're doing our Father's business. What's going on in Moldova? We're doing our Father's business. Why are you doing the Special Olympics? It's our Father's business. We have a higher calling than anyone could ever understand with their human intellect. That may sound like to some people that's just kind of arrogant. Friend, I want to tell you, I'm grateful that he's called us his co-laborer. I'm grateful that he's called us to be a partaker of the divine calling. Brothers and sisters today, would you step out in faith like never before to be about your Father's business? If you're here and you've never been born again, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can't follow the one you've never met. So it begins with knowing Him as your Savior and as your Lord. And then that time of surrender, saying, God, it's not about me. It's not about the place of security, just being where everybody else is and getting caught up in the crowd. But it's about stepping up and saying, as for me, Lord, I'm going to serve you. As for my house, we're going to serve you with all that we have. Father, I pray that you might bless...